The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 170 Antiochus the Madman Having usurped the throne of the Seleucid Empire, Antiochus Epiphanes took command of his army and ventured southward to battle with Egypt. To get there, he had to pass by the land of Judea. At the time, the Jews were still considered part of the Seleucid Empire, though they had a number of freedoms. During the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes, the freedoms they once held dear were taken away. In 175 BC, the year Antiochus Epiphanes came to the throne, the high priest Onius III ruled the Jewish people. He was responsible for representing Judea before Antiochus in serious matters. Initially, Antiochus didn't care much for the Jews and their religious laws. He had more important things to do. But he did care that the Jews paid their yearly taxes to the kingdom. One year into Antiochus's reign, the high priest's brother, Joshua, approached Antiochus with a proposition. Greetings from Jerusalem. May the king live forever, announced Joshua at his audience with the king. Antiochus was busy planning his next campaign into Egypt and didn't have much time for this man who was not even the high priest. Why have you come to see me and not your brother? What position do you hold? Antiochus asked curtly. Well, I'm glad you asked. That is exactly the reason why I'm here. Joshua responded. While my brother is a reasonable leader, I am here to report that he does not represent the wishes of most of Jerusalem's nobles. Antiochus quickly saw where this was going. And who do you suppose would? You! Why would you be a better leader than your brother? Two reasons, responded Joshua promptly. Firstly, my brother is stuck in the past and isn't doing enough to allow modern thinking into Jerusalem. If you, O gracious king, were to install me as high priest, I would see to it that Jerusalem would have its own gymnasium, a center for educating our finest youth in Greek thought, art, and literature. Unlike my brother, I am fully on board with your policy of adopting the Greek culture. It is clearly the way of the future. And the second reason? Antiochus asked, already starting to warm to the proposal. More money for you, replied Joshua smugly. And how would you accomplish that? Antiochus asked. I am here as a representative of most of the aristocrats in Jerusalem. The richest of our people in Jerusalem are very forward-thinking. They want change. They have agreed to increase our yearly tribute to you if you allow me to become high priest and implement these changes. So what you are saying is that I will get more money and Jerusalem will be turned into a Greek city 
just as I desired anyway. Antiochus replied, Exactly, most exalted king. Joshua responded, Pondering the matter for a few moments, Antiochus could not think of a reason not to replace Onias with Joshua. He didn't understand nor care for the rules of the priestly succession in Jerusalem and saw it as a simple transfer of authority. Okay, Antiochus agreed. You are now a high priest of Judah. You have the authority to remove your brother on your return. Now be off. Joshua smiled, bowed, and removed himself from the presence of the king. Joshua returned to Jerusalem and quickly transformed the city into a full-fledged Greek polis, even changing its name to Antioch Hierapola. He also changed his own Hebrew name from Joshua to the Greek name Jason. The gymnasium was built and Jewish youth began to be educated in the Greek system, learning the Greek language and philosophy, and participating in naked Greek games. At first, Antiochus didn't have to compel the Jews to this new way of life. In order to be considered sophisticated on the world stage, the aristocratic Jews and the priesthood needed to appear as Greeks. The Jews desired to adopt the pagan practices at the expense of their history and ancient laws. They simply wanted to fit in with the world around them. In all of this, it is important to remember that the initiative to Hellenize Jerusalem did not come from King Antiochus, but from the Jews themselves. However, Jason didn't remain high priest for long. A couple of years after his own instatement, another man, Menelaus, approached Antiochus and promised him even more tribute if the king would give him the office of high priest. Antiochus agreed and removed Jason from his office to pay this massive tribute he had promised, Menelaus did something outrageous. He raided the temple treasury. This started a fierce battle of infighting among the Jews. During this time, Antiochus Epiphanes was waging a successful campaign in Egypt. Somehow, news got back to the Jews that Antiochus had been killed. So Jason's supporters decided to get rid of Menelaus Unfortunately for them, Antiochus was still very much alive. On his way back to Antioch, the king passed through Judah and took vengeance out on a great many of the Jews. <laughs> he then reinstated Menelaus as high priest. A year later, Antiochus Epiphanes ventured back into Egypt to conquer Alexandria, a city on the Nile Delta that had remained unconquered from his last incursion. Antiochus felt his chances were good to take the city. As his army arrived at the outskirts of Alexandria, Antiochus spoke to his officers. This should be much easier than our battles last year. He surveyed the scene before him. We shall simply storm the city with a far larger number of troops, and they will be forced to accept our terms. We might not even lose any men. The next day, 
Antiochus prepared his troops and started to march toward Alexandria. Just as they began their march, a scout approached Antiochus and reported that a large number of ships had been spotted in the harbor, squinting toward the horizon. Antiochus noticed the top sails. Antiochus was upset that he hadn't received prior warning of Egypt receiving reinforcements. Who is that? Antiochus shouted to his officers. Why did no one send intelligence of this? We didn't know, one of his soldiers said. None of our spies in the city reported more Egyptian fighters. Antiochus didn't have to wait long to find out who they were. A contingent of horsemen was soon seen approaching Antiochus's battle front. The king surmised that the group was not coming to fight since his army far outnumbered them. As they came closer, Antiochus realized that they weren't part of the Egyptian force. They were dressed in Roman military attire. Antiochus even recognized one of the men. It was none other than Pompilius, a Roman emissary, whom Antiochus became well acquainted with during his period in Rome as a youth. Greetings, populace, my old friend. Antiochus said as he dismounted and walked toward the Roman entourage. Pompilius too climbed down from his horse and walked toward Antiochus. However, he didn't say a word. As they reached each other, Antiochus held out his hand to Pompilius, as friends might after being a long time apart. How good to see you, Antiochus said trying once again to get a reaction from his former acquaintance. Pompilius reached into his knapsack and pulled out a small tablet, handing it to Antiochus. Read this first, Pompilius demanded. It was an official decree from the Senate at Rome. Antiochus took the tablet and quickly scanned the document. Antiochus IV, king of the Seleucid Empire, the Senate of Rome has determined that your army has no place in Egypt. As such, we have resolved that you must evacuate you and your army from Egypt at once. If you fail to comply, the might of the Roman legions will come upon you. Looking up from the tablet, Antiochus stared at his Roman friend. You cannot be serious, populace. The Senate is siding with my enemy? and wants me to withdraw? I will have to discuss with my advisors what to do and the terms we can offer you. I am sure we can work something out. Pompilius was stoned face. Without uttering a word, he used the cane in his hand and proceeded to draw a circle in the sand around Antiochus. Rome will have you answer. Whether you will withdraw or not, before you take one step out of this circle, demanded Pompilius. For a moment, Antiochus was clearly distressed. Though he was often prone to emotional outbursts, he could usually talk himself out of any situation. Rome clearly understood Antiochus's knack for persuasion. By drawing the line in the sand, 
Pompilius removed any chance Antiochus could wiggle free. Antiochus looked down once again at the tablet and reread the Roman decree. While his army was stronger than Egypt's, it would be no match for the Romans. Antiochus was often ill-tempered and impetuous, but he wasn't foolhardy. He certainly couldn't risk an all-out war with Rome. Fine, Antiochus conceded. My army will remove from Egypt. While Antiochus didn't vent his anger in front of the Romans, he was furious that the main foreign policy objective of his rule would not be achieved. In the days that he marched his army out of Egypt, his fury continued to grow. Then, in one of the most inexplicably barbarous acts in history, Antiochus decided to take his rage out on the Jews. On his way from Egypt to Antioch, the wicked king marched into Jerusalem and initiated a brutal slaughter of the Jewish people. Antiochus went first to the temple and set up a statue of the Greek god Jupiter Olympus in the Holy of Holies. On the altar of sacrifice in the temple courtyard, he forced the priest to sacrifice pig flesh to the pagan gods. Anyone in Jerusalem who was seen practicing any form of religion other than his own was sentenced to immediate death wherever books of the Bible were found. They were destroyed, as well as the people in whose possession they were found. Jerusalem was broken, though many of the Jews had gone along with the changes in the city over the past decade. They still followed some of their laws and traditions. Antiochus now outlawed the laws of God. In order to ensure the Jews didn't revert back to their religion, Antiochus commanded a massive fortress to be constructed just south of the temple. This towering citadel gave Antiochus forces the ability to view everything taking place in the temple area. Its impregnable walls also allowed Antiochus to keep some of his troops in Jerusalem in case the Jews thought to rebel. After construction began on the citadel, and with the heart of Jerusalem destroyed, Antiochus continued back to Antioch. As soon as he arrived, he made his policy official by writing a formal decree to the entire realm. His decree stated that the whole kingdom should be one people and that each nation must give up his customs. To enforce his decree, he sent soldiers not only to Jerusalem, but also throughout the countryside of Judea. Many Jews gladly went along with the pagan religion, 
the soldiers compelled them to break the Sabbath and build altars and shrines to idols. They had to sacrifice and eat unclean meats. Antiochus directed the Jews to follow customs strange to the land. They were forbidden to offer burnt offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings in the sanctuary. They were commanded to leave their sons uncircumcised. Those who would circumcise their sons were burned to death. In all of this, Antiochus was trying to destroy every vestige of the truth and laws of God. Antiochus' incursion into Judah was extremely successful. He nearly eradicated the law from the entire land. Month after month, his soldiers traveled through Judah to enforce the apostasy. Soon, nearly every town in Judea had pagan idols set up with regular sacrifices being made to them. Finally, the soldiers reached a small town of Modian in the northernmost part of Judea. As they had done in town after town before, the Seleucid soldiers organized all the people from the lands around to come to the town square for a meeting. There, they erected a pagan altar in the sight of all the people. Then the soldiers focused on a bearded old man standing in the center of the square with his family surrounding him. One of the soldiers spoke out. You, Matthias, are a leader who is honored in this city and supported by all your sons and brothers. Matthias, a Levite, was the patriarch of Modian. Now, since you are esteemed as such, come forward and be to the first to do what King Antiochus commands. As all the Gentiles and the other men of Judea, as well as those in Jerusalem have done, then you and your sons will be numbered among the friends of the king, and you and your sons will be honored with silver and gold and many gifts. Immediately, all the townspeople looked to Matathias to see how he would respond. After a few moments, the old man took a deep breath and opened his mouth. Even if all the nations that live under the law of the king obey him and have chosen to do his commandments, departing each one from the religion of his fathers, yet I and my sons and my brothers will live by the covenant of our fathers, Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinance says, We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left. Mattathias would not compromise with God's law, and he most certainly would not sacrifice upon this pagan altar. Not all of the Jews in attendance, however, had the same fate as Matthias, fearing what might happen. One of the townsfolk moved toward the altar as if to offer the sacrifice himself. When Matthias saw it, he was filled with godly indignation and ran to the altar, forcefully stopping the man from sacrificing. 
Antiochus' soldiers came forward to attack Mathias, but he and his sons overcame them. In the aftermath of the shocking sequence of events, Mathias turned to the rest of the people and cried out in a loud voice, Let everyone who is zealous for the law of our fathers and who supports the covenant come out with me! Many of the townsfolk, inspired by his courage, decided to join him and fight to protect the law of their fathers. Then Mathathias, along with his five sons and the new band of Jewish warriors, withdrew from the town to set up a camp in a nearby forest. From there, they began to plot and plan a revolt against the mighty Antiochus Epiphanes. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.